So our scripture this morning is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And that's on page 1196, if you want to use a pew Bible, but feel free to bring out your phone and check out your Bible app for um, James 1, 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like the wild flower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown, the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Glad to see you're all here. Hope you tied your boats up outside. I'm glad everyone is here safe. It is good to see you this morning because today we are beginning a new series on the book of James that we have entitled, You Might Not Want to Hear This. Thank you for coming again. It might, <laughs> not the most inviting name, but it might seem like a funny name. But throughout history, it has seemed a rather apt description for the book of James, particularly in the Protestant church. From Luther to Calvin to modern pastors, we have sought to avoid and minimize James. I think because too often we treat James as kind of a gateway drug to works righteousness. 
were worried about the kids reading it. However, the book of James is full of important and beautiful wisdom. It is full of guidance that we need desperately today. In the fall and winter, we spent our time studying people who had had encounters with God. James is going to help us see what a life should look like after we've had that encounter. This book is challenging. It can discomfort us. It can call things out in us that we don't want to examine. It can push our sense of self-righteousness and comfort. James will not push us to abandon grace and faith, but he will help us to realize the implications that they have on our lives today. I recently saw a meme that said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a mechanic. And for some reason, this just reminded me of James, probably because he can be a little sarcastic and a little sharp. Because James will not allow for the simple spiritualization of our faith. Rather, he declares that anyone who has faith will see it play out in their changed lives, lives that will reflect God's justice and peace and love and hope. From the get-go, we see James's commitment to the community of faith living out their lives in ways that are in contrast to the prevailing culture. It is easy to mistake these opening verses of James as a disconnected stream of thought, jumping from idea to idea, but to do so would be to underestimate what the author is trying to convey. The first 18 verses of James lay out the foundation for the rest of his letter. They are an attempt at reframing reality, of reshaping one's own worldview. I think one of the reasons that James makes us uncomfortable has to do with the opening few verses. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but a joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If I were James's editor, I might consider telling him to ease in a little bit to this part of his book. But James, James isn't like you and I. He's making sure that every single one of his words count, and so this is where he chooses where to begin. And he begins here because this is the attitude that will reshape and shape everything that he is to write. I need to make this disclaimer before we go any further, however. Too often, this passage has been used intentionally or unintentionally as a weapon against people. It has been used to try and force people to stay in harmful and unhealthy situations in the name of joy and endurance. The English translations don't do this particular passage great justice because James is not actually calling for joy in the face of all trials and tests. Rather, James is calling for a more limited perspective in which his trials and tests that he's talking about will be laid out in the rest of his book. 
James is not calling for a person to stay with their abusive spouse. Nor is he telling someone who has suffered from sexual abuse that they should be joyful in it. It's important to understand these distinctions. He is primarily concerned with the communal trials the brothers and sisters of the community of Christ are facing at the time. And they're the ones he highlights, including economic oppression, partiality, slander. We're going to cover all of these in the next few weeks. And James is reminding them that while they might be tempted to respond with violence in the face of their persecution, that the way of Christ is to respond instead with a joy, knowing and trusting that God will see them through and that God's justice will prevail in the end. It's difficult for us looking back now to know, but James is acutely concerned about the actual use of violence in attempting to bring about the will of God by the Messianic community. He's calling them to live another way. In his great commentary, Scott McKnight writes, Endurance, then, may well describe the decision on the part of the Messianic community to refuse the option of violence to establish justice and instead to learn to wait for God's work to be accomplished in God's timing. We should not, however, envision passivity so much as confident moral rectitude and concrete behaviors of love in the face of opposition. This is why we don't read a lot from our commentaries and sermons. However, he makes a great point because it can be really difficult to discern the difference in passiveness and endurance. And at first glance, they can often look the same. I was trying to come up with a way to make this accessible this weekend when I was rescued by the ever and all-knowing Disney. (laughs) So helpful. I was wrapped up on my couch nursing my cold when Cinderella came on TV. Now, not the original animated Cinderella, but the new live-action Cinderella. And I was struck but a small, by a small but incredible difference between that original animated version and this new one. As most of you, I'm sure, remember in the original Cinderella, she seems to just exist solely to be rescued by her prince. She rushes from test to test, from trial to trial and oppression, singing and dancing and wondering when her prince will come and save her from all of her trouble. She is essentially passive in her own story. In this new version, Lily James plays a Cinderella that is subtly but profoundly different. In this one, before the young girl's mother dies, she tells Cinderella to have courage and be kind. A mantra, a way of living that the girl adopts. And as the story progresses and the young girl's life begins to encounter more tests and trials, the death of her father and the oppression of her stepmother and stepsisters, Lily James portrays a girl who uses her kindness as courage, who challenges the oppression she suffers through her unshakable belief that there is something greater, that she is called to be something different and perhaps better than the people around her. She endures 
her situation. But she does so because she can see the bigger picture. She becomes more whole, more mature, more of a full person than her oppressors could ever hope to be. In this version, she's not looking to be saved by a prince. She's not looking to be saved by anybody. Rather, she is saving herself day in and day out through the strength of her inner convictions, through her ability to respond to her oppression, not with violence, not with passiveness, but instead with an active resistance of joy and hopefulness. Eugene Peterson writes, many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it ends up on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for the years-long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. The call here for us is to go through the trials and tests of life with an endurance and joy that speaks to us knowing that there is something greater than our present moment and our present reality. And this is why James tells us to immediately ask for wisdom. Because in wisdom, we are given the privilege of seeing God, of knowing more about God's character. Two things which will form and strengthen our endurance, that will enable us to endure with a character like Jesus. James then goes on to win even fewer friends when he asks us or tells us that when to ask in faith, we should never doubt. Not helping his case. Doubting here, however, comes from a word that literally means to be two-souled. It actually developed from an older Hebrew word that originally meant to be two-hearted. It creates what James refers to as an unstable person, a person who has split allegiances. And because this person cannot fully trust God, he or she can then not fully receive the wisdom of God. This is not a prohibition on doubting or questions on a whole, but it is a warning that a failure to trust God in the face of trials can lead to a person being overcome. If you've ever been out on a boat in rough water, you will know that if you don't keep your focus on where you're going, it is easy to capsize a boat. If you're looking back and forth and weaving from side to side, the waves have a higher chance of overtaking you. Now you have to know where you're headed. This is what James is telling us, that those who doubt cannot see through the test in the moment. And so they risk instead being overtaken by the waves. 
It's not odd then that James immediately jumps to his example of poverty following this discussion. Because economic injustice was a very real trial facing the people to whom he was writing. And James takes that test, that trial in their life, and he reframes it with a view towards endurance and God's wisdom. Yes, the rich ones enjoy life at the moment. But soon, they will be destroyed while the poor who have been made more perfect and whole in their faith and their time of endurance will be gifted with the crown of life. Recently, a few months ago, I went shopping for the first time in Corte Madera. And it was a wonderful day, and following that, I needed to go down and see another friend who was down south. And so I pulled up my handy GPS, which occasionally I'm sure is trying to kill me, and <laughs> I typed in the address. And trusting my GPS when it told me that it had the fastest route, I began to follow it. And as I began to drive south, I began to see a sign that said, Richmond San Rafael Bridge. Now, if you don't know this about me, and many of you probably don't yet, I am terrified of heights. I am also not a fan of driving on bridges over water. This is not gonna go well for me. So as I was driving, and you can see that bridge rising up, getting closer and closer, and there's no way to turn off, I began to have a panic attack. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced one, and I'm sure that people experience them differently, but when I have a panic attack, it goes like this. My heart starts to race, and then my body temperature starts to rise. I start to get really warm on my face and my chest, and start to sweat, and then my breathing starts to get rapid and shallow. And after that, my brain starts to feel a little foggy and I feel like everything's closing in around me and the edges of my vision start to go dark. Sometimes, when we are in the midst of the tests and the trials in our life, we all experience our own version of a panic attack. We start to think that there is no way out. I cannot do this. How could God have done this to me? And it's here that James stops and reminds us that though we may be tempted to think otherwise, God is all good, and God is not the cause of our trials. James reminds us that through our perseverance, we receive our reward, but it is our own sinful nature or our own GPS devices that trap us, not God. Once again, Eugene Peterson speaks wisdom when he reminds us that perseverance is not a synonym for perfection. Rather, it means we keep going. We do not quit when we find out that we are not yet mature and there is a long journey ahead of us. As I drove on that bridge, I had two options. I could quit and most likely end up on the evening news, or I could persevere 
I could recognize my own failings and that I wasn't perfect and yet still go forward. And so I began to pray and I hit the Bluetooth on my car and I called my mom and I said, Mommy, I need you to talk me through this. And she did. And as her voice started speaking, I began to feel like I could breathe a little easier. And before I knew it, I was off that bridge. James doesn't call us to perfection, but he does call us to action. James doesn't abandon faith and grace for works, but rather he declares that faith and works are so intertwined that they must be understood together. Standing in a garage does not make you a mechanic. It is only years of study and practice of tests and successes and failures that do that. Standing in a church doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. It is only through years of study and perseverance and failures and successes that does that. When we face trials, when we face the tests of our lives, we know that we can endure not because they don't hurt, not because they don't wound us, but because we trust that God, in God's wisdom, will see us through and bring us out the other side. We endure not with fatalism, not with cynicism, not with passiveness, but with a strength of heart and mind that defy the ways of this world and speak to a new and coming kingdom that changes everything. Amen.